Good morning. My name is Yolanda Cruz of the Santa Fe Community Foundation. Welcome to Community Matters on KSFR's Wake Up Call. Community Matters is a radio program where subject experts and community leaders talk about the challenges and inequities our city faces and possible solutions that could contribute to its growth. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this radio program do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Santa Fe Community Foundation. Today I'm joined by Laura Gonzalez of El Rancho de las Colombinas to discuss a piece of New Mexico's women's history. Laura is the Education and Volunteer Manager at Rancho de las Colombinas, Santa Fe's premier living history museum, where she is committed to helping youth and families learn about local history through hands-on, immersive experiences. Laura's passion for local history inspired this personal project about caves, cribs, and cat houses, Painted Ladies of the Southwest, which she has shared at various conferences and cultural events. In fact, it was a presentation of this research that led to her opportunity to join the Las Colombinas team. She is scheduled to present it once again as part of a panel with her alma mater, New Mexico Highlands University, later this month for the 63rd Missouri Conference on History. Welcome, Laura. It's really exciting to have you with us today. Hi, Yolanda. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about um, your research project. I know that we talked about it briefly in the intro, and I want to hear a little bit more. Yes. Um, so this is a project that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, it's something that I became really interested in about probably about 15 years ago now. I was studying history at the time, and I was working at Fort Union National Monument and uh, discovered some really interesting archival material regarding a case and a situation that had happened on the post regarding some local soil doves, as they call them. And I became really intrigued and just wanted to learn more about that particular part of women's history and, and the, the, what kind of lives that they had. I wanted to learn more about their experiences on the frontiers, particularly in New Mexico. And I just wanted to, to shed a little more light. So I became really curious, and, and that sort of has evolved and developed over the last several years. And uh, it's been a lot of a fun to research. It's been really a really enlightening project. Um, so so the, a lot of times when, you know, when I think about stories I've heard or narrative or history um, on that time period, it really is based more on men. And I started thinking about that, and I thought to myself that that's probably because history is written through the eyes and the voices of those writing the history. And so yeah, this is a little bit of a different perspective, and how did you go about doing this research to get the women's yeah, that's, voices? Yeah, that's definitely true. I think for the... the so this, this uh, study focuses on the 19th century, um, specifically about women's history, and specifically the women that don't always make it into the histories and uh, the things that we do know about these women in the West generally come from other sources. In other words, people are writing for them. People are writing about them. Um, so they're a little hard to track down. Um, but I just did some digging. I, had to, I was fortunate in that I had the resources at my disposal um, through New Mexico Highlands University and their, their special archives and their Southwest Studies room. And I had access to the archival materials of Fort Union. 
So lots of court martials and government documents. And from there, I was able to just piece together bits and pieces of their lives. And so I was able to find out a little bit more about, about these women and the role that they played in, in frontier society and, and about their experiences specifically in and around northern New Mexico. So they're definitely difficult to track down, but, uh, but the information is there. You just got to do a lot of digging. Um, I, I can imagine. And um, so in hearing you talk about this and you talk about court marshals and Fort Union, how does that, um, how is that put together with the painted ladies and the prostitutes of the Southwest? So I'll tell you a little bit about the project generally. And then, um, so when I started this project, it, it caught my attention. The story is that there were these women, a group of women who were engaged in prostitution and that they were located um, just, just a couple of miles from the military post. So these aren't women that were employed by the military. They weren't affiliated with the military, um, but they were nonetheless servicing the population at the fort. And this is the case throughout the West. You know, you'll see this throughout these um, predominantly male communities that start to spring up in the West, uh, starting from the 1820s when the Santa Fe Trail officially opens, and it continues on um, through the 19th century. And so we see these groups of women, they're often called camp followers. They start to follow these predominantly male communities of military posts, um, lumber yards, um, cow towns, mining camps, and uh, they see uh, a need for their services. These predominantly male communities are are very rough and rowdy kind of kind of places. Um, so they start to to see that there's a need for for sort of this, this sort of a domestic service. And a lot of these women are in these situations out of desperation. Um, perhaps they've been abandoned or they've um, maybe they came over on the Santa Fe Trail and they lost their family, they lost their financial support, um, and they're looking for a way to either supplement income that they're getting from somewhere else, or they're looking to support a family, or they're looking to support themselves. So time and time again, we see these women engaged in prostitution in the West, in these communities, and Fort Union was no different. So I discovered this material um, about these women in this cave called Cañón de las Pelonas, um, Bald Women's Canyon, that they were living out of these caves. They weren't employed by the fort, um, but they were engaged in these services nonetheless. And the, 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 the more I dug into these women and prostitution at large, the more I started to see the fuller picture of what, what that industry really looks like throughout the West and um, what role they played in society. And, and it's really every, everything that you can imagine. You know, it, it has its own social structure from the very top and the ladies and the bordellos all the way down to these women in the caves. Um, so they're really interesting, but, but they're all very significant and play significant roles in, in the formation of the American West, really. So I can imagine that it would be really difficult to be living in a cave. And I'm intrigued about so many pieces of this story. Um, one is that there probably weren't a lot of opportunities for women at that time, right? If you didn't have a family that's supporting you, or even if you're trying to work to send money to your family. But then also um, the thought of a group of women living in a cave, um, even though it's in the 19th century, it still seems like it would be very challenging and somewhat unsafe. 
It absolutely was. It was very challenging, very unsafe. They're at the mercy of the elements. Um, the, the work that they're engaged in is very dangerous. It can come with abuse and addiction, disease, um, all of these things. But, but these women, particularly these women around Fort Union, they had actually traveled with the encampment. It was relocated from Santa Fe. Fort Union was originally situated in Santa Fe, and there were more established gambling houses within the Santa Fe community. And so they were getting a little bit into too much trouble, and they get relocated out to the frontier. And these women, because there's eyewitness accounts of some of the soldiers um, saying that they knew these women in Santa Fe and that they recognize them, that they've engaged with them before. So that tells us that these women when the fort was relocated out into, you know, 28 miles north of Las Vegas in the middle of nowhere, right off the Santa Fe Trail, the fact that they're going out there and they're taking the risk of living in these caves um, tells you how, how important these wages and how important this, this support, this financial support was for them in their lives and perhaps their supporting families. Um, so it was very difficult, I imagine. And, and that's kind of what drew me to them and what wanted me to learn more about their lives um, these women were plying their trade, and, and the reason they got in trouble, the case that we found in the archives, was that they actually had gotten in trouble because, not because they were engaged in prostitution, that was fairly common, and that was sort of, um, they kind of looked the other way, as long as it didn't interfere with, with fort um, operations, and in this case, it did. Uh, they started to see an uptick in the spread of venereal diseases at the post, and they started to see... Um, a greater influx of stolen goods being reported missing from the depot. So it turns out the soldiers were paying for these services with military goods. And so that's what caused all of this ruckus. And, um, and that seems to be the case uh, throughout the West. But, but yes, living in the caves, living in, in shacks or wagons, um, you know, their, the nature of their job in this case is mobility. It, it certainly was a difficult life, I'm sure. And I can imagine there weren't just, you know, homes that they could rent or buy, especially out in the um, in the plains of northern New Mexico. Exactly. As as um, there are reports that the Sutler store there at Fort Union might have had a crib or two or or women disguised under employers um, that were actually performing other services. Again, this is pretty typical of Western establishments. But no, out, out on the frontier like Fort Union and some of the, the New Mexico communities, it, they really were on their own. They really had to just be these sort of camp followers living in whatever sort of structures they could find. Now, as you get into different parts of the West that are more developed, um, that are becoming more of large towns or cities, um, certainly, as we get further into the 19th century, there are opportunities for women to be boarders. And this is where you see the parlor houses, the, the, the bordellos, the brothels, you know. And um, and they can be kind of rinky-dink, and then they can be all the way up to really fancy bordellos. Um, so there are those opportunities, but it had to be in more urbanized areas. If you're um, engaged in prostitution in the 19th century in a rural area, you're pretty much going to just... Uh, you know, gravitate to what you can find, to what's available. And in some cases, that might be something that you can rent from somebody in a local village, um, or it might just be an abandoned shed or shack or wagon, or in the case of the ladies at Fort Union, a cave. And that makes sense and also as to why they were accepting goods, because there may not have been a lot of places for them to purchase the things that they needed. So accepting exactly. goods for payment. 
would probably and be exactly. And you know, when you look at the records of the stolen goods, um, more often than not, they're medicines. You know, they're they're necessary items. They're not trading these favors. They're not engaged in this type of life to get you know jewelry or clothing or anything like that. It's always for medicine, for everyday essential goods, um, a furniture piece here and there. Because again, this is the time the Santa Fe Trail is opening up things. There is a, a greater influx of goods into the area, but that doesn't mean that everybody has access or can afford those goods. Um, so these women, a lot of times, just did this out of necessity and out of out of the the opportunity, out of economic need. And, uh, and once again, like... go, ahead, go ahead. And once again, my name is Yolanda Cruz with the Santa Fe Community Foundation. And today I'm joined by Laura Gonzalez. She's the Education and Volunteer Manager at El Sancho de La School of Dinas. Okay, go ahead and finish. Sorry, sorry about that. Oh, no problem. I was just going to talk a little bit about uh, just over the hill at uh, a Fort Union and past the caves are, uh, is a little community uh, called Loma Parda. It's now abandoned. It's one of the, you know, the ghost towns of New Mexico, but... Um, it also was interesting that it wasn't just local women that were finding these economic opportunities located very close to these these uh, male communities that were springing up like military forts, but local communities were even finding opportunity and finding economic stimulation because of the presence and the need that was there. And so um, it was unfortunate for the women in the cave. They they didn't have access to nice recorders, but just over the hill, a couple more miles in this little community, there was a dance hall, and they had several cribs that employed these uh, these painted ladies. And so, what we see is there's there's plenty of opportunity and plenty of people willing to engage in these services um, for the for the potential to to earn more money and to make a living and to support their families or their communities. And so what are some of the contributions that um, the women were able to make to the communities as, as they engaged in sex work? So and this, this varies, again, depending on the region and depending on the, the, the sort of social tier that, that you're o- occupying within prostitution. Of course, the lower you go, if you're working for yourself or you're working out of a, a shack or a crib, or a cave because you're a camp follower, anything that you get is really going to be to you and your family. Um, But what we see with these more established houses, because they're more established within communities, they often have to pay fines or taxes. Those are then stimulating the local economy. Um, Wealthier houses in more urbanized areas are importing lots of, in some cases, very lavish goods from the Santa Fe Trail. Um, they're bringing in those those items of modernity. They're purchasing large amounts of clothing and liquor and furniture for their establishments. Um, when you talk about the madams that are running these bordellos, they're they're businesswomen. They're acting as entrepreneurs. They're surrogate mothers to the girls in their care. You know, they're they're providing for some people for these women that are displaced and even men that are displaced that are that are engaged in their services, they're, they're sort of providing this semblance of, of home in some environments. Um, we also have plenty of stories of different ladies throughout the West who are helping during outbreaks of influenza or smallpox. So they're acting as nurses. 
because especially in the early years of the 19th century, um, you know, doctors, Western medicine, those are far and few between. And in some of these early, really primitive communities, these are some of the first and only women that are around. So they're sort of helping to bridge that gap, um, acting not only as sex workers, but as nurses, um, as laundresses, you know, what have you. So those are probably like three different things that they're doing there. First is the financial co-op. Um, contributions that they're making to the entire community. And then secondly would be um, that kind of sense of home and family in some of the um, higher upper-class modellos. And then you have um, the other services that they're able to provide because they are some of the only women in the communities. Right, right. And in some of these bordellos, they're even providing employment not just for these women, um, but for bouncers and bartenders and musicians, you know, things like that. Um, and then, you know, you could get deeper into it. They're, they're also sort of helping to establish the legal and, and social institutions in the West because they're, they're with the legal institutions are sort of, you know, as they're developing against the backdrop of prostitution. And so it kind of helps to determine the, the, the laws of the area, the social norms, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, you know. Um, they're a very real presence in frontier society as it's, as it's growing and changing throughout that century. And because there was a huge need also, right, for, for the services that they provide, because there were not many women that came to the area as well. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's not something that people like to, to talk about or even think about sometimes, but, um, but we see this even in the reports from commanding officers at military posts, that as long as it's not interfering with post interrupt or interfering with post operations, um, they, they sort of look the other, the other way when prostitution is happening. They know it's going on. They don't make a real effort to, to banish it or outlaw it. They just make an effort to sort of keep it in check. And in some cases, um, and this is the case with Fort Union, you could even get permission. You could get permission from your commanding officer to go visit Loma Parda, for example, and they knew very well what was going on there. There was drinking and gambling and sex. Um, so again, it was it was in some ways even encouraged because I think they understood that a lot of these young men, they're, they're single, they're away from home. Um, in some cases, according to the letters from the privates themselves, like they're bored out of their wits most days. Um, and so... You know, there's there's there is this need for entertainment, for for companionship, even this nature of companionship, and and I think the authorities understood that. But again, it was about maintaining a, a balance. And there are many stories of um, the women also contributing. You know, once they were able to accumulate some wealth, they contributed to building schools and hospitals and other necessary items in their communities. Right. Oh yes, absolutely. There's um, the the one that's uh, probably more familiar to us here in Santa Fe is um, Doña Tules and Maria Gertrudez Barcelo. She came in from Mexico. She eventually opened her own gambling hall off of Burro Alley, right here in downtown Santa Fe, um, and she ran one of the most popular and prominent businesses in the community at that time. And She's, uh, she's buried in the, the churchyard. She was actually buried on hollow ground, which was not something that was typical of women in her station, but because she had donated 
to the local building of the church. She she always uh, donated to local charities. Um, She adopted, um, she sort of took in people that were orphaned in the community. And her establishment really helped with that, bridging that kind of cultural gap early on in the 1840s when when the first Anglo-Americans were coming in and and settling in this Hispanic community, you know, her establishment was kind of the place where everybody could go and be together and and have some fun. Um, but she she actually was really well respected. Her will um, talks about how much she donated and how many properties she owned. You know, she was in the real estate business. She had she provided homes to people. You know, and there's she's just the one here in Santa Fe. But there's plenty of those examples of those madams throughout the West that are absolutely, literally helping to build their communities around them. I think that's really important that you're able to research and find these stories and then bring them to life today so that people can understand a little bit more and you're giving these women a voice that they probably hadn't had or wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, thank you. It's it's like I said, it's it's been a passion project of mine. It's very interesting and and there's there's a lot of literature out there. This uh research has been done on this subject in the last several years and and it's just wonderful to see to see women in history in general getting a voice, but again, particularly the these underdogs. I think for a lot of history there they've been misunderstood and, and underrepresented. So um there's a lot more to them. <laughs> well, especially in in seeing and hearing that a lot of times this profession was chosen out of necessity. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's a really important thing to remember, is that life on the frontier is, is hard for anybody. I mean, it's rough. Um, but particularly at, the, at that time, just the way society was, it was very um, organized according to gender roles and social class. And if you were a woman and you ended up in the West, you know, with nothing... Um, a lot of these women, they literally did not have another choice. And other women did try. You know, it's not for lack of trying. There's plenty of stories of women that attempted to, to be a laundress or attempted to run a boarding house. And, and they found that it was just too difficult of work for really not, not many wages. There's a, there's a saying that said that the wages of sin were, were a lot damn higher than the wages of virtue. And, uh, and some women just came to that conclusion and they, they ended up in prostitution out of the sheer economic need to support themselves and their families. And some of the stories that I'm hearing from you show that it didn't really change um, the nature of the person. So if they were philanthropically inclined or want, or cared about their community or their church, they still found ways to contribute to those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, these women are incredible, really, because a lot of those times in the community, like, they, it's sort of fifty-fifty. Like they're they're embraced and they're they're admired and they're respected, um, but but not by everybody and not by the community at large. And there was still plenty of people that that turned their noses to them and wouldn't give them the time of day and treated them badly. You know, despite their large donations or their help in the community, um, simply because they didn't have the the chaste reputation that was generally expected of women in the nineteenth century. But they kept on so doing it anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, my name is Yolanda Cruz of the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and today I was joined by Laura Gonzalez, the Education and Volunteer Manager at El Rancho de las Colombrinas. And Laura, can you tell us a little bit 
about how people can learn more about these stories and stories like these in the West? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's always a great place to start. You just, uh, you can do Google searches. As I said, there's a lot of really great books out. Um, I unfortunately have not had time to write my own book, um, but there's a lot of really good works out there um, about prostitution in the 19th century, about prostitution in general. Um, if you want any direct titles, people can look me up on the Las Colombrinas website and they can give me a call, they can send me an email. I'm always happy to talk with guests about any any type of New Mexico history, especially about these women. Um, so anybody that's curious or interested, you know, just reach out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lananda, so much for having me.